BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, and welcome to the Josh Marshall Podcast. This is David Tainter sitting in for Josh. We have a, a bit of a different episode for you guys today, taking a slight break from the news to talk about something that a lot of us at TPM are really interested in, which is books. Obviously, we spend all day, every day covering the news, but I think I speak for a lot of us when I say, you know, maybe after work, on the weekends, it is nice to take a break from all of the just flood of information and, and sit back and, I don't know, enjoy something a little bit longer and a bit more thoughtful. So we're excited to have uh, Andy Hunter from bookshop.org joining us. Hey, Andy, how are you? Hi, great. Thank you for having me. Also in the studio, we have Nicole LaFond, our special projects editor. Hey, Nicole. Hi, how's it going? Good. And TPM's newly minted publisher, Joe Regazzo. Congrats to you, Joe, and thanks for sitting in with us, too. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Andy, we'll turn it over to you in one sec, but before that, let's take care of just a little bit of business. Keep our cups full. Uh, Do you love to save a buck by skipping the coffee shop? Yes, we all do, of course. Are you a do-it-yourselfer or even a brew-it-yourselfer? So is Grady's Cold Brew. You asked and they delivered. Brew it yourself with Grady's New Orleans-style coarse ground coffee blend. I guess that's appropriate. It was just Mardi Gras, right? Yeah. Um, One bag makes... 24 servings of Grady's cold brew exactly the way you want it. It's designed to work in a cold coffee maker, a hot coffee maker. Choice is yours. Um, Order it online and receive 16 ounces of their famous blend of 100% Arabica beans and French chicory in a receivable pouch for long-lasting freshness. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Or, and this is maybe a little off-brand for this pod, order Grady's on Amazon.com for next-day delivery. Well, they don't sell books, so it's a little <laughs> bit different. Have you ever had Grady's, Andy? I have not yet. It's phenomenal. Sounds great. Grady well, himself is kind of like friend of sight. Yeah, we'll have to get you a cup before you, uh, yeah. before you leave the office. So, Andy, tell us a little bit more about Bookshop.org, what you've been up to there. Yeah, well, I've got a couple of... Um, day jobs that I've been working on for a while. I'm the publisher at Catapult, Counterpoint, and Soft Skull Press, who are publishing books. I'm also the publisher of Literary Hub and Electric Literature, which are online websites that cover books. So I'm like really been in this world for over 10 years. And during those 10 years, I've seen Amazon grow to pretty much complete market dominance of online sales for books. And they, for example, since 2015, to 2019, they grew from 37% of consumer sales to 52% of consumer sales of books. And overall, including like academic purchases and all the other ways that books get sold, they're at about 44% of all books sold in the U.S. Um, Now, what that does is that puts the whole ecosystem in danger. And even if you love Amazon and you have Echo and you like getting your stuff in two days, and, or if you're a publisher that thinks Amazon's a great partner and a good outlet for your books, even then you can acknowledge that having one player that has all the control of a market is not a healthy thing. It's not going to be a healthy thing for books in the future. Um, so Bookshop 
is an attempt to wrestle some of that back. The more, like, people are shopping online more and more. E-commerce as a portion of consumer activity that's gone up about 15% year over year for the past decade. Now it's huge, like, I don't remember, $4 trillion or something like that. The more people are shopping online, if they're going to Amazon to buy all the books, then that's going to eventually corrode um, the whole ecosystem around books, including bookstores. And bookstores are of outsized cultural importance. They're not just cute shops, which they are. They're cute shops, and we love to go in them. And as a kid, bookstores were really opened up entire worlds to me and changed my life. And every time we went on vacation somewhere or I went to a place with a bookstore, I would just want to hunker down there and sit there for, for hours. And like most people who are in books for a living, like they changed my life in a way that made me want to dedicate my life to them. And nobody, you know, books, book selling, the world of books, the world of writing books, it's not a real great place to get rich. So mostly people are in it because they love it and they understand how good books are. Um, preserving that ecosystem is really important. Silicon Valley and Amazon being a big part of that is all interested in like, how do we disrupt this industry? How do we take this old established industry, make it more profitable, do things more efficiently, break it down? And that involves a lot of laying waste to previous structures. And sometimes those structures are actually like really good for human beings. And bookstores are a great example of a structure that's really good for human beings. And they're places where authors go to connect with their readers. They're advocates for books in their communities. They're, play, they're like really essential to the cultural fabric that makes books an important part of our culture. If Amazon ends up putting 2,000 independent bookstores out of business in the next 10 years, which is right on the cusp of if they keep growing 9% year over year, there's not much room left before they start putting them out of business. It's not going to be that Amazon suddenly owns the book business and people keep reading as much as they used to. People aren't going to read as much because bookstores are on the front lines keeping people reading, keeping them excited about books, keeping books an active part of our cultural dialogue. If they all go away, Amazon will end up being like the virus that killed the host. And so it's really important that bookstores and all the players that are around books, including authors, including websites like Talking Points Memo, that writes about books are all part of a collective action to keep that from happening. And Bookshop is a mechanism to keep that from happening because Bookshop provides revenue to websites that write about books. A lot of newspapers have cut book review sections because there's not a lot of advertising around books. Well, Bookshop will give you 10% of every book sale that comes from a book review from your newspaper or from your website, or if you're a book blogger, or a book Instagrammer, or if you're an author and you have fans and you want to sell your book to your fans, you'll make money from your publisher, but you also earn 10% from Bookshop. So it's a very collectivist model because it's splitting up all the profits and giving it back to all the players that make up a thriving world around books. So in the case of an author, of, from the $20 book sale, the author would get $2.00. Bookstores would get $2, Bookshop gets $2 to stay in business, and then the rest of the money would go to the publisher and all the fulfillment, getting the book to customers in two or three days. Amazon has set this expectation that people want their stuff in three or four days. Bookstores can't do that on their own, but by having a joint platform, 
that does it f across the country were able to match customer expectations for book for Amazon and hopefully compete with them and get the socially conscious consumers who understand what we're doing on our side and buying books from our site, bookshop.org, making a conscious choice to do that instead of Amazon. One thing I wanted to just, uh, a disclaimer I wanted to get out of the way real quick as he was talking, I was thinking, uh, Andy and Bookshop did not pay for this. This is not like a sponsored content podcast. This was actually my idea. I wanted to do this because I want people to know about Bookshop because I really, I love this idea. And to your point about bookstores playing like a, a big role in your life, there's one in particular, like for me, there's this place called Loganberry Books in Ohio. And I, it, it's just like a magical place. I just love being there. Even if I didn't have money to buy a book, I just wanted to be there and be around them. And that's a huge cultural thing for me, just like you said. And so, you know, I'm not Nicole and DT. I don't know if you have your own personal stories, but that really, that, that captured me when I was here, when I was at the office and, and listening to um, explaining the concepts and how it came to be. Yeah. And obviously we're recording this in New York City where uh, many small local businesses are often replaced by like uh, branches of banks, right? So like a, ch a Chase Bank goes into a place that used to be kind of a corner store. And um, it's interesting. Andy, I'm curious what your sense is. At least in New York, it feels like there has actually been a tiny like renaissance of bookstores that I'm thinking of like the McNally Jacksons in downtown. They opened one in Williamsburg in Brooklyn recently. And I think one in the South Street Seaport Green Light Bookstore, which is kind of my most local one in Fort Green, Brooklyn, opened one in a kind of more up and coming neighborhood prospect Lefferts Gardens. Is that have you seen that happen at all? Is that just anecdotal kind of that we're lucky to live in New York that can maybe support something like that? Well, no, it's it's really true. Um, and the number of bookstores that have opened in the past five years has, has been really encouraging. Um, but you also, also in New York, you have book culture having to close their Columbus loca Avenue location. There's, even if you speak to those stores, they'll be very honest with you that it's a really low margin business, that they're like, their margins are two to 5%. And um, I'm like, super impressed with how well McNally has done. I love the new bookstores like Books Are Magic. Um, but they're they're hanging on by a thread even as they're growing. They're not there's not a lot of comfort like room there and having to pay higher wages, higher health care costs, higher rents that are entailed by living in New York City. It's a challenge. And what we want to do is just make that a little bit easier. We're we're not going to make enough money to pay their employees, but we are going to make enough money. Um, and Bookshop distributes money to independent bookstores every six months. We're going to make enough money to give them some freedom from worry and help bolster their bottom lines. And for every big store like McNally Jackson that has like a good website and does well in online sales, there's like 85% of the stores in this country aren't really selling meaningful numbers of books online at all. And Bookshop allows them to set up a web page where they can sell books to their customers year-round, anytime, day or night, and benefit from those customers uh, without having to pay for building a website, without having to pay a monthly server fee, without having to worry about inventory or how do they get the books to the customers. We do that all for them, and then they make 25% off of the, every sale. So. For the mom-and-pop bookstores that don't have a lot of tech savvy or don't have the resources to do e-commerce, 
we're providing a solution for them. And it's really, it means a lot. If you can have a, like we have a bookstore that's just signed up who's in Martha's Vineyard. Like, what are they going to do with their, their seasonal customers leave? There's not much that they can do year-round. But now the customers who love them can go to their bookshop page anytime during the off-season and know that they're supporting that store and buy a book, get it in three days, and help that store at the same time. So that's going to be a huge game-changer for all these small stores that aren't, don't have the time or the resources to do e-commerce by themselves. And is it true these are all physical printed books? It's not e-books, is that right, as part of the mix? We're going to partner with an e-book provider called Hummingbird to offer e-books in about a month. And we're going to partner with an audiobook provider, Libro FM, to deliver audiobooks within the next couple months. But right now it's all physical books. And that's really, and it's all physical bookstores that we benefit too. Like a bookstore has to have a brick and mortar or a pop-up location in order to be part of our pool. I was going to ask how you decide or um, choose which you know local bookstores you partner with. I wish something like this had been around when I was in high school. I had a friend whose family ran this really lovely small bookstore in my hometown. It was called Pages for All Ages, and I think they um, it ended up going bankrupt when I was senior in high school, which is just terrible. But um, what do you, what kind of outreach do you do? I mean, do you let them come to you? How do they, how are you getting the word out? Yeah, well, we partnered with the American Bookseller Association. Um, they currently run a program called IndieBound, which we're going to take over the fulfillment for IndieBound. So we're, we're going to be working really closely with them, but they're the trade organization that has about 2000 bookstore members. That's the primary way we reach out. We go to all the trade fairs, we have booths, we do a lot of, um, meet and greets and that kind of thing. Um, there, a lot of booksellers are a little bit skeptical of like anything having to do with online sales, right? So we've got to make sure that they understand that we're on their side. We incorporate it as a B Corp, which means that our social mission for the public good has a priority over our profits. And we also put in our corporate bylaws that we couldn't be sold to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any of the major U.S. retailers like Walmart or Target, like nobody can buy us. I love, so, I love that so much. So we get any customers that we get, they don't have to worry about this being hijacked and turning against them at some point. We also have booksellers on our board of directors to make sure that we stay the course and are always benefiting them in the right way. And to sign up, all they have to do is send us an email. And if they have a physical location and they're members of the American Bookseller Association, they can be part of our pool. We don't even ask that they promote us in any way. They can just be silent partners and benefit from from the additional revenue. And it requires no work on their part at all. So we really wanted to make it as simple as possible. This whole model is designed to help everybody without causing extra work for anybody. When we were when you gave the presentation, I was impressed uh, at how much how much outreach you've already done and and not just with the booksellers but in terms of publishers what would you say to somebody who who might add, who might suggest you're not going to beat amazon you're not going to make a dent so i'm just not even going to think about this like how would you respond to the like a skeptic like that people those skeptics come to me every day so <laughs> i've been responding to them a lot um well i say first of all I personally pay more for my utilities every month because all of my utilities are sourced from clean energy sources. That's something that I've opted into spending a little bit more money on in order to hopefully ensure that I have a future. And that we all have a future, right? And more and more people buy local 
when they're shopping for groceries. There's a conscious consumer trend that's happening, which hopefully isn't a trend. Hopefully it's a reshifting of our consciousness where we understand that we're building the future with all the small, small choices that we make every single day. And when we choose to buy something on Amazon, Amazon is selling all the books at a loss. That's why a book is $13 on Amazon, even though the cover price is $26. They're selling it at a loss so that they can achieve total market dominance. Once they have total market dominance, who knows what's going to happen? I don't really want to find out. Um, but if you care enough and you say books are valuable, authors deserve to be paid, bookstores are valuable in their community, I'm going to pay a little bit more money for the book. Bookshop does discount books, so we're not the price difference isn't that great. But... And we can get books to you as quickly as Amazon does. And we have a great inventory because we partner with the nation's largest wholesaler of books, Ingram, to do all the fulfillment. So our inventory is far vaster than any individual bookstore could ever have. It's close to Amazon's. So in terms of all the customer convenience aspects, we can match them. In terms of price, not quite so much. But but what kind of world do you want to live in? Like, do you want to live in the dystopian hellscape <laughs> that we're all going for? We're like... There's little helicopter drones delivering boxes to people who are, like, in their dark houses, you know, in front of their couches, consuming. It's like the, it's like a sort of weird version of The Matrix where everybody's in this pods. Um, and this is like – I don't think we're quite there yet. But it is where, like, the Amazon model is, is building towards where, like, you don't have to go downtown to get your groceries – you don't have to leave the house. You don't have to interact with other human beings. Um, everybody can work at our warehouses, and everybody can get everything delivered to them, and all the hardware stores, all the toy stores, all the record stores, all the grocery stores, they can all go out of business because we're more efficient than them. And then, like, what kind of human future do we have? Like, community is based on interaction with other human beings. Happiness is based on interaction with other human beings. And it's also based on feeling like what you do in the world has value. And to replace all those structures with like convenience, efficiency, and price is all that matters. It's, it's quite dangerous on an environmental level, but also on a human level. And I think that more and more people are waking up to that and choosing to behave a little bit differently to prevent a future from that like that and to say like well some of the th some things don't shouldn't be disrupted some things are good and we want to keep them the way that they were and so bookshop is like an anti-disruptor it's about reinforcing the institutions that make our lives better and help people now bookshop is you uh started it not long ago i mean it's been like a really quick launch right from what it was like not it wasn't even like six months ago was it where you started hiring people and working on it yeah i raised money as fast as i could we raised money we closed around in july um of 2019 built it as fast as we could and we launched in beta four weeks ago yeah i was amazed sitting there you had a like a product roadmap you know months into the future and you know i over i don't work on the tech, but I oversee the tech team. And just hearing the level of detail that you were thinking about, like, we need to get it down to one click. We need to make sure that this, the, the checkout experience is seamless. I was, that's the level of, of detail required, I think, to, to start an e-commerce business. And even, even with established players, 
it seems like they don't grasp that as well as you did. So could you just talk about the attention to detail on the on the site and just making the site as competitive as possible? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will say, first of all, that we're not there yet. Like, mm-hmm. when I go to the site, people have been very complimentary, and our sales are about four times what we projected awesome. in our optimistic scenario. So mm-hmm. we're doing great. Just as a point of pride, Amazon makes a big deal about the fact that in their fourth week, they sold $20,000 worth of books. In our third week, we sold $32,000 worth of books. Josh would say, boom, boom. (laughs) (laughs) So we are doing better than Amazon did in 1994, uh, but we have a lot of catching up to do. Um, It's uh, publishing a lot of stuff on the web. As I'm sure you guys know, you learn a lot about consumer behavior on the web and, and just how people behave when they're online. And one of the things is that they have no frustration tolerance at all. If they wait, have to wait two seconds, they're, they're gone. So everything has to be super fast. Also, they're super lazy, and they won't do something that's harder. And that thing that could be harder is like a checkout form that takes too long to fill out. Um, it could be, you know, just any, any interface, user, user interface that is a little bit more complicated. If they get confused, they're out. If they have too many, if you give them too many options, they're out. They don't want to deal with it. And so Bookshop is designed and will be designed because we still have a mobile checkout that we're working on that's going to make our mobile experience much better. There's all these different things like that, but it's all designed with, like, basically, people want to be good, they want to be virtuous, but they also will quickly stray from that path if it's a little bit harder. And we're not going to try to make it harder. We're going to try to make it as easy as shopping on Amazon, um, but also being virtuous at the same time. And I think that if you take away the barriers and the frustration then you have a really good chance of, commu- of competing with Amazon because you feel good about yourself when you do it. And when you buy a book on Bookshop, you see exactly how much money of your purchase is going to support independent bookstores. It feels like GoFundMe and that there's a balance running total on the top, which is already over $10,000. That's part of our bookstore pool. In addition to that pool, there's also bookstores that are using it to sell books online. Um, and they're making extra money for that. And then there's media partners like Electric Literature, Literary Hub, Talking Points Memo, that are also earning money that aren't included in that total. So it's actually even more than that $10,000 is going back to all these players. Um, So it's really paying everybody back, everybody that makes up a healthy cultural conversation around books gets rewarded for that and hopefully supported so that they can continue. Because websites that write about books are really important in the same way that bookstores are important. And we we want... there to be coverage of books. We want people on Instagram posting about books. We want book clubs to exist. The more book clubs use Bookshop, they can help support themselves, and they can also support independent bookstores at the same time. I noticed even the way that you have the category set up on the website reminds me of, there's this really quirky bookstore in my hometown called Jane Addams, and they have categories based on the weirdest things um, where you can, you know, find books on random topics. Like one of the topics you had was walking and uh, every book in that section had something about walking or was related to walking. Um, I think that's fascinating. Did you you model it off of anything or what, how did you choose how you set up the categories? Yeah, well, some of it is the brilliance of our, of our editor, Kevin Chow. Um, he's doing things like books by Aquarius writers. That never would yes, have occurred I to me. Yes, I saw that as well, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> like a lot of people are super into those lists. Um, and part of it is coming from our community. We feature lists generated by anybody can create a bookshop. So 
anybody listening to this podcast, if you want to have your own little bookstore where you feature all the favorite books that you have, have experienced in your life, books by your friends, books that made a difference to you when you were a kid, you can create a bookshop. If you're a PTA organization, you can create a bookshop for your PTA. Anybody buying books from that bookshop, you get 10%. So, so that has resulted in over 600 affiliates already. So it's already 600 bookstores, some of them from individuals, some of them from publications, some of them from big publishers, some of them from small. Um, and they're creating all these awesome lists. So I think that the walking list is not from us. I think that was from one of our affiliate shops when we were just like, this is a cool list. We're going to put it on our homepage. Some of the lists are ours. And I think that the, that the genesis of it is Amazon, and not just Amazon, a lot of kind of digital operations are in, into using algorithms to, dis, to tell you what to buy. And they all think that there's some kind of holy grail of like, oh, the perfect algorithm is going to recommend the perfect thing to you. And that's, we should spend millions of dollars developing these algorithms. But, you know, when you look at what makes you buy a book, it's because somebody that you trust and respect, admire, told you that a book was good. So yeah. Josh Marshall tells you that Catch and Kill is a good book. You read the book. It's because of a human being who you respect. That's the reason people buy books. That's why Oprah Book Club is big. Um, and so Bookshop has no algorithms. It is all human beings and publications and organizations that you respect telling you, these are great books that you should read. And all the recommendations are based on that. And they can curate it into books about walking or books by Aquarius writers, or they can do, like there's a good list of books to survive a pandemic that just came up. <laughs> Time um, I saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's all, they're all human. And that's a core value of Bookshop. What are you reading right now? I feel like we, it'd be malpractice to not ask that. Oh, well, I just I was just a judge for the story prize, which was just a really great experience. Um, and I read uh, Sadie Smith's Grand Union. That was the last book I mm -hmm. read, and I, I highly recommend it. Um, Edridge Dendicat, um, and um, a new writer who wrote a book called Corinna and Sabina. Um, her name is Callie. I'm not sure. I not quite sure how to pronounce her last name, but um, these great short story collections, um, which I would recommend all, all of them. Those are the last books I read. I do read constantly because I publish books as <laughs> one of one of the other things I do. So I'm reading books all the time, um, and I think that contemporary literature and the books and the authors working right now, it's like a really great time. There's so many good books right now. And I think that, you know, as a, I publish a lot of stuff online too. The durability and the longevity of books is something that really st remains unmatched. Um, and they're, they're of outsized cultural importance to, you know, when you have a online article that can make a splash and then disappear, but books actually change people's minds. Um, they're really magically set up to create worlds and experiences in your head that came from somebody else writing a bunch of symbols. It's almost, it's like one of the most magical things in the world. And it also allows people to make very long, complicated arguments that are intelligible in a way that like any, kind, any other kind of communication can't do. So um, like the decision to try to like, this is a very fraught time as we all know. And it's easy to question like, am I, what am I doing? And is this worth doing in a time like this? Like, should I be 
out protesting? Should I be quitting mm. my job and working for a political organization or whatever? But books, when I think about my own life and how empty it would have been if books hadn't been part of it and how much I've benefited from books, it really feels like, in general, they are uh, good. Mm -hmm. Like it's pretty solid, solidly in their camp that they're a cultural good and a personal good and it's worth fighting for them. There's not very many universal truths anymore. I think that's that's a fair one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now you're, uh, are you close to the baffler or are you actually work, are you in the baffler's office? We're subletting from the baffler. Shout out to the baffler. I love the baffler. All yes. the issues right outside the podcast room right here. So Yeah, and they're only a block away from Yeah, I know. I need to t- <laughs> like, I've been reading the baffler since 1993. Oh, that's awesome. That's so, awesome. Back in the Chicago days. Yeah. School. Tom Frank. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to make, or I, well, I thought an interesting point kind of about physical books is that obviously a lot of us, a lot of our professional lives are all spent online in front of a computer. I think that's true not only of journalists or people who are kind of in covering the news or publishing, but everyone in an office, right, is sitting on a Google spreadsheet or Excel or a PowerPoint deck or, or so on. So there is something about a physical book and the typeface that just makes it kind of more a, more of a pleasure to read, I guess, and even like an ebook or something like that. Um, I know, I just thought that would be... Are you a physical book versus ebook guy? I am. Yeah, it's a too. little bit ironic because I... I first entered this industry with Electric Literature, which was an ebook publisher, an electronic publisher, and that was because it's the only it was the only affordable way to do it. It's really expensive to print books and ship them all over the country and yeah. all that. Um, so I sort of made my name and reputation through electronic publishing. But even when I was doing that, like we were like, oh, we're the first publisher to ever have a, our own iPhone app, which we were, and in like June of two thousand and nine. And we were really proud of that. And we were the, for a while, we had the biggest Twitter following of anybody, including Penguin Random House, like a $2.5 billion a year corporation. And we had more Twitter followers than them. <laughs> um, but, but at the same time, I was going home and reading physical books. So it was a little bit of a fraud. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I do love the accessibility of digital. And I certainly respect everybody that reads digital books. I, I think it's like paper or plastic whatever works for you it's it's all about the material but personally yes i read physical books maybe you can give us some insight into this joe and i were talking yesterday about yeah analog versus digital and books versus ebooks and so on and that something that brought to mind for me was that when you buy a, a record on vinyl like an album of music it i think almost universally comes with a download code that you can put on your phone or you know your computer or whatever and kind of take with you it that hasn't translated to hardcover books and i'm just curious is that why you think that is maybe or if that's something people have tried before but haven't successfully executed it just seems like if you're spending 25 or 30 dollars on a book that's not an insignificant amount of money and that you know, it would be one way to make it more portable. If you're, if it's a thousand page hardcover book, like a Murakami novel or something like that, it's sort of hard to lug that on the train, but you know, maybe you could read the book at home and then fire up your iPhone or Kindle or whatever and take it with you. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I've heard that many, many times in the past like 10 years. And I don't really know why publishers don't do it. It's either because they don't want to deal with the technical hurdles and it's a very slow moving industry. Um, and very staid and stuck in its ways. So that's all true. It's also true that maybe they make more money by making people buy the 
ebooks separately than physical books, and that's stopping. Like, now. right, you need both if you want that flexibility or yeah, I mean, I know, convenience like, yeah, or something. I've yeah. definitely done it. Because a lot of times what I'll do is like, if I've read a book, like a lot of my favorite books, I, I'll i just want to experience them again, and that's when I'll get the audio book so I can just lay around. And like if I've already read it, I don't have to pay quite as close attention, so it's okay if I'm listening to it. I find it difficult to listen to an audio book if I haven't already read it. Because mm. I, I just, you know, like with you just kind of wander just naturally. Right. All right. Well, I think we're just about out of time. Anything else, Andy, you wanted to mention or anything else we haven't gone over uh, about kind of what you guys are up to? Um, no, I would just say, you know, anybody, please visit bookshop.org. Know that um, we're a very lean, very small team. We're just five people right now. Um, and our hearts are in the right place. We're trying to build an infrastructure that allows everybody to participate. And so if you're somebody that does care about books and cares cares about bookstores and wants to, to help everybody from authors to publishers to booksellers try going to bookshop.org and bookmark it and just when you want to buy a book late at night or when you're not near your local bookstore use bookshop.org if you are near your local bookstore go to the local bookstore and buy the book because that benefits them more than if you shop from us so your first recourse should always be going to your local bookstore and buying it there. But if you can't do that, then um, please consider buying it from bookshop.org. And Joe, is it true that uh, our listeners and readers of the site will maybe start to see links to um, Bookshop? Yeah, there's been a couple. I think the last time Josh wrote up a review, it might have been of Catch and Kill, actually, that it linked to Bookshop. And then I've also been beginning to curate lists. So one of the things we want to do, for example, is have a list that's all the books that appear as excerpts in Cafe. Right. Um, Josh's list, of course. And then I was talking to David Kurtz, our um, executive editor, about ways that we could further integrate curated lists. Because like we said, we all read books at TPM. And so it would be fun if Nicole had a list and you had a list or, you know, we were able to come up with lists on the fly. Like, here's the best things about pandemics like there's no reason we couldn't make right. a list like that and yeah. so there's a lot of things that i want to get to and start to integrate this as part of the site in a lot of different creative ways and so i'm, I'm really really excited about yeah. that all right well stay tuned for that and uh just to remind our listeners uh get grady's cold brew doc uh, get grady's cold brew 20 percent off at grady's cold brew.com use the promo code tpm or you can buy it on Amazon if you want to do that. Uh, the last thing is also go and become a member at TPM because that's how that's the best way to support TPM. So if yeah. you're not a member already, absolutely join Prime, join Ad Free, become an inside member if, if if that's more your thing. But memberships are the best way to support us as well. So hit Bookshop and then come to TPM and be a member. Yes, well said. All right, Andy, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank, thank you, you all. Nicole thank and you. Joe. Thanks. See you guys later. Thanks. <laughs>